Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Well, I'm Tim Pollock, and I'm the, the small group director here at Good News, and today we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about community. Uh, before we do that, though, let me open us up in prayer. Lord Jesus, it's a privilege to come before you today to approach your throne with confidence and to bring to you our burdens. God, I pray specifically for the Accurso family. I pray that you continue to heal uh, baby Matthew and that you give comfort to Matt and his girls. But I pray that you surround that family with support and love. There are many people here who are grieving and hurting. I pray that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard their hearts and their minds. And Lord, I pray that you take away my nerves. I am tired of being nervous up here. And so, God, I beg you to take away my insecurities and allow me to speak with confidence the message that you put on my heart. And Lord, I pray for those who are listening, that they would be open to your word and they would be open to being challenged. God, I pray that we leave here motivated to encourage one another in the love provided by your sacrifice. It's for your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, this morning we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can start turning there. And if you've never been in Hebrews, it's toward the way back of the Bible. So you go to the New Testament and you just keep turning right past all of Paul's writings and then you land in Hebrews. And we're going to be in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And if you don't have a Bible, the passage will be on the screen. And as you turn there, I want to give a brief overview of what the book of Hebrews is about. The purpose of this letter was to encourage Jewish believers to exalt Jesus and remind readers that Christ is the fulfillment of the law and God's promises from the Old Testament. And to do that, the anonymous writer who was closely associated with Timothy and Paul presents a simple yet beautiful theme. Christ is superior in his person and in his work. With that, let's jump in. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way in which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you say, see the day drawing near. I want to start by looking at the final verse, verse 25, which prompts us to encourage one another. So if you've looked at uh, your bulletin or our study, our brand new study with a beautiful picture of our city on it, by the way, it's very nice. Okay, nobody thought that. That's fine. <laughs> uh, you know that this, this uh, verse is where today's application comes from. The action step for this week is simple, and it's to encourage one another. And now some of you may be wondering, why are we spending 30 minutes on encouragement 
Last night, I told my wife she did a good job with dinner. I gave some high fives this morning. I've got this encouragement thing down. And while I think God honors those ways to encourage one another, and he loves when you are proud of your children, the text in Hebrews seems to, to suggest a deeper understanding of encouragement. And that's what I want to flesh out today. So in the preceding verse, verse 24, we're told, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. But because translating from one language to another is difficult, we often end up reading this passage from a, a works-based perspective. We tend to see the part that says, toward good deeds. But as John Piper teaches, though, that is not the writer's goal in the least. The key to unlocking the writer's intention in verse 24 is to go back to the beginning of Hebrews. In chapter 3, verse 1, which begins, consider Jesus. And I want to sit in this verse for a bit so that we can draw a correlation to chapter 10. In chapter 3, after instructing us to consider Jesus, the author then spends seven chapters describing the superior nature of Christ. He walks us through Jesus' position as the great high priest, to the certainty of God's promises, to Christ's perfect sacrifice. The writer's use of consider, then, suggests a thorough consideration, and not in the casual way we might say, I'll consider getting the spicy chicken sandwich. The text consider means to study or to fix your thoughts on. Now, because grammar and specifically word order often gets lost in translation, I want to present the fastest grammar lesson in the history of the world. But before you fall asleep, just stay with me for one minute. I promise it will make sense. The direct object in chapter 3, verse 1 is crucial. So what's a direct object, you ask? And all the classical conversations people said amen. Let's review. A direct object is a noun or noun phrase that receives the action of the verb. And in this beautiful example, I like Kim. I can help you with love letters, by the way. The subject is I, the verb is like, and so Kim, the noun, is the direct object, and the object of all my love and affection, by the way. That'll go over better in the 1030, hopefully. Or maybe I'll just erase it. So that means, as you can see on the screen, the direct object of Hebrews 3.1 is Jesus. So why is this so important? Well, it allows us to see a fuller picture of our passage. And as you can also see, the direct object of verse 24 is one another. So consider Jesus and consider one another. It seems like the Bible might be making a connection here. In fact, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the best way to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ is to study the life of Jesus and to study those around you. And so we study Jesus to feel the weight of his holiness against our sinfulness. And each day we preach the gospel to ourselves so that the gospel has a freshness in our lives. One of my favorite pastors is Matt Chandler, who leads a large church in Texas. He's been instrumental in my own spiritual development, and he is ridiculously skilled at communicating complex issues of our faith. 
And so before we watch this quick video, I do want to point out that he does have some excitement as if he's had a lot of coffee. So fair warning. The gospel is that there is this infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful creator God that created all things for his glory. And you and I have belittled that, belittled his name, belittled his glory. Every one of us have at one time or another, or actually currently, believe that our way is better than God's. We fail to acknowledge, give him glory for the gifts he's given us. We question his rule and his authority, while at the same time doing that with the brain he gave us and holds together, and the lungs and the air that he gave us to breathe with. This is the great blasphemy of the universe. So we've all belittled God, and God being just right and holy is not going to allow the belittlement of his name. God then, not being able to spare wrath, sends Christ in the flesh and crushes him. And in so doing, pours out his wrath against the children of God onto the Son, killing him. Then God raises him from the dead. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in those who would believe. This is the gospel. That you and I have right standing before God, not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skill, not by whether or not we cuss or don't cuss, drink or don't drink, watch this, don't watch this, do this, don't do that, justified before God by the cross of Christ alone. Your lust... You're not going to be able to fix it. Your bitterness, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your rage, anger, those deviances that have been following you around, you don't possess the power of life and death. You can't resurrect anything. Christ can. That's the good news. That's why we don't celebrate us. That's why we continually celebrate him. We boast in the cross and the cross alone, the same power that is at work in raising Christ from the dead that work in me and work in all who believe. This is the gospel. What I love so much about that excerpt is that it harkens back to verse 23, which reads, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And if this message of the gospel is new and you've never accepted Christ into your life, Know that Christ's promise for you is an eternal one. To accept Christ, we admit to Jesus that we have sinned and we fall short of his glory. We believe that he died on the cross and rose for us, and we commit to following him. You can put your faith in Jesus today, and if you choose to do so, please let us know. You can mark it on your Connect card, or you can just see someone around you. We would be happy to come alongside you to celebrate. But for those who are professing Christians, it's important that we encourage each other with God's promises. Romans 15, 14 says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. And as a body, we guide and we spur one another on. And we've tried to give you resources that will help you in that regard. I have a handful of items up here that I just want to walk you through ever so briefly. Um, we've got sorry, these little uh, business card size invitations. Obviously, Shannon talked about VBS. And basically, guys, this is an invitation for us 
to bring people into our church. And then the invitations from there kind of go to the next level. And so if someone is exploring their faith, we have uh, Do You Know booklets. There's also a summaries of the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn out in the resources station. And then if somebody is connected to the church and they want to take the next step of small group, there's 35 cards uh, that you can invite people to your small group and share Christ with them. And then, and then finally, we have the study. Uh, while you can use the study to invite people, uh, this is mainly the tool for us to use in small group. And so the study allows our entire church body to be in the same scripture throughout the week. And then the first question in the small group queue, and hopefully you remember this, says, what did you learn in your time in the Word? And it's a great opportunity to share triumphs and failures. And as we share in our own stories, it's important to remember that the Bible is a string of gritty and sometimes grimy stories, all pointing to the one beautiful story of Jesus. So the promises of the Old Testament are the promises of Jesus. So if you're struggling with infertility, God has a promise for you. If you're in deep despair, grief, or loneliness, God has a promise for you. If you're fighting for purity, God has a promise for you. If you're racked with indecision or anger, God has a promise for you. Hear me, though, I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel when I say that God has a promise for you. Because the promise is this and only this, Christ will sustain you. Not that you won't encounter fear, not that you will never have money concerns again, not that temptation is behind you. No, the promise is that you will grow in your understanding that freedom from credit card debt is great. Freedom from the grips of addiction is amazing. Freedom from the snares of pornography is worth celebrating, but none are accomplished without freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ frees us from proving ourselves to others. We offer our burdens and our forgiveness to Christ, who generously takes them, allowing us to rid ourselves of our sin and instead clothe ourselves with righteousness. That being said, being in Christ does not numb us to pain. I know the Holy Spirit is working in my life, but that doesn't make me miss my nephew Noah any less. I know that God is in control, but I still worry about my oldest brother and his family's salvation. I know that Christ is enough, yet every day I take medicine to combat my general panic disorder. I know the Bible is the source of all wisdom, yet still I see a counselor to help discern what is making my heart so troubled. Jesus is not a genie, and the Bible is not a fairy tale. Abraham did not see his promise fulfilled on earth. Elijah lost all hope and asked to be spared. Job suffered in unimaginable ways. Peter's denial of Christ reduced him to bitter weeping. Yet our God is the restorer of all things. As I said at the outset, Christ is superior in his work, and he will sustain you. 
We remind one another of God's promises. And then as it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, which we probably all read last week, right? <laughs> because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That means as Christ followers, we gather together. We meet. We put community on our calendars. If we go back to verse 25, it warns us not to forsake meeting together. And then says, as is the habit of some. Well, if you're like me, isolation can be tempting. And it can also be habit-forming. As someone who has been around a lot of small groups, I get nervous when someone says that they need a break from small group. Because that break can often feel very good. So good that it can become a habit, which can then grow into a routine. But hear me on this. The last thing I want to do is give you a guilt trip about not being in small group. Because I understand it. I'm an introvert, and if it were up to me, I'd spend a lot of time by myself. But I also have this weird, tension-filled battle in my own heart. Because I desperately want to feel loved and to have friendship. And I suspect you have that too. So rather than a guilt trip, here an invitation into encouragement. An invitation to care giving and care receiving. An invitation to being shepherded by Jesus so that you can then shepherd others. So we study Jesus. We press into the word. We meet regularly. And in those times of meeting, we encourage one another. And we remember the goal of our encouragement, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So just how do we encourage one another? Let's unpack three ways. We listen, we serve, and we pray. Now, studying someone does not mean watching your neighbors through the blinds with binoculars. That's creepy. And weird and likely illegal. No, studying someone starts with listening, and we listen in a variety of ways. So we listen for love languages. You've probably heard of the best-selling book, The Five Love Languages, and whether you like that book or not doesn't matter. Because the thesis is true, we each have different ways that we prefer to be loved. And it took me about 10 years of marriage to realize that compliments don't do for my wife what they do for me. So if you tell me I did a great job on something, I will smile for a week. For Kim, words are nice, but she would much prefer that if I just did the dishes. <laughs> yes, that's sweet, Tim, that you think I'm pretty, but the garbage isn't taking itself out. That's not how Kim talks, by the way. <laughs> In the same way we study our spouses, we study our friends. Romans 15, 5 through 7 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude in mind, attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It's a tall order for friendship, isn't it? But that's what the Bible commands of us. 
We also listen for cliches. If work is always good, if the kids are always happy, and if money is never an issue for someone in your small group, chances are that person needs to be followed up with. In my house, going a day without worrying about parenting or money is rare. Making it a full week without some excitement in one of those areas is pretty much impossible. And if we're going to share our lives with each other, we must do so honestly. And then we listen for silence. Silence doesn't necessarily mean someone doesn't want to speak. It might just be that they need an invitation to offer their thoughts. So wait an extra second or two with that quiet person and maybe follow their lead. Say less, listen more. And second, we serve one another because Jesus was a servant. Jesus went out of his way to reach people who were scorned in the community. And he spent time investing in these so-called outsiders. And Jesus was a host. He continually broke bread with people of all different walks of life, often providing the food. Hospitality is seen frequently in the Bible, but I especially love the way it reads in 1 Peter 4.9, which says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I don't know about you, but that last part seems to trip me up every time. And then probably the scene that most of us remember, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, each of their dirty, sinful feet. And so we look for opportunities to serve as Jesus did. And because we are listening, our how can I serve you becomes when can I serve you. And remember, too, that part of your biblical community is your family. Yes, those little weird people in your home. Study them. Don't forget them. Pray for them as well. And then third is prayer. And prayer is the obvious answer to so many things, but how often do we forget to do this? Sorry, I've got dry mouth. They say not to say those things when you're speaking, but I can't help myself. Thanks for the pity laugh. In the context of Hebrews, <laughs> under the arrangement of the Old Covenant and its priesthood, the Holy of Holies, situated in the back of the tabernacle, was the most sacred place on earth. And the only the high priest, after a precise process of ritual cleansing, could enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. And for everyone else, even other priests, it was off limits. But when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn, signaling a dramatic change from the old system to the new. And since the blood of Christ cleansed believers from the stain of sin, we are free to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And God invites all people to enter this sacred place. And so we pray. As 1 Thessalonians 5.17 reminds us, pray continually. And pray on the spot. As much as we can, let's eliminate, I'll be praying for you. And instead say, let me pray for you right now. Or can I pray for you? And we pray and we're steadfast in the face of tragedy. Or when things look like a lost cause. This week was a particularly heartbreaking week for the St. Augustine community. 
On Monday night, a young mom passed away while giving birth to her fourth child. And even though she did not attend our church, Lauren Accurso was well-known and well-loved by many people at Good News. And so there is raw and painful grief in this room. At the same time, there are many praying people in this room. Because Lauren's newborn, little Matthew, is fighting for his life. And so we pray for him. We're meeting and we are praying and we are trusting in the promise God makes in Psalm 147.3, which says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Ephesians 5.19 tells us to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It can be hard to find the right words, or any words for that matter, during times of suffering. So we turn to scripture to give us the words to pray. This week I've listened to the song, Though You Slay Me, about a million times. Not because it's catchy or because the guy's voice is good, although both of those, both of those are true, sorry. But because the song echoes Psalm 73. And through song, I bury scripture in my heart so that I can encourage others with it. Psalm 73, verses 26 through 28 read, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and it is good to be near God. This nearness to God should sound familiar as it parallels our passage from today as verse 22 encourages us to draw near to God. A husband who loses his wife unexpectedly will undoubtedly lose heart at some point. A child who loses her mom will face confusion, fear, and anger. And my prayer and my hope is that we as a church body are willing and prepared to step into these difficult circumstances and any other life event that presents itself in the life of our local body. Once a month at Good News, we have newcomers classes. Smiley and I tag team the Wednesday night classes, and I always learn a lot about and from Smiley at these classes. And one of the things that he says every week has really resonated with me this week. He talks about how he gets more out of weddings than the couple that's getting married. Because as he's going through the vows, he's reminded of what he signed up for, and it bolsters the commitment that he made to Karen. And that's been my experience this week. The passage that was intended for you became very much for me. As I prepared, I faced a lot of doubt and uncertainty and really the weight of spiritual warfare. I needed to be immersed in the promises of God. My biggest fear is that this message on encouragement is going to end up sounding like a downer. And while some of you appreciate transparency, the pleaser in me is worried you're thinking, wow, our small group guy has issues. <laughs> and yes, I do. But here's the thing. So do you. <laughs> and that's exactly why we bind together. Preparing was also difficult because this was a tough week emotionally. As I shared from stage last year, I continue to work through my own grief and anxiety and panic 
And the tragedy from this week obviously made a lot of my own pain resurface. But despite the sadness of this week, I was so encouraged. Because my small group knows that words mean a lot to me, they prayed for me. They checked in on me frequently, and they lied to me and told me today's message would be great. <laughs> One couple actually bought me a new Bible that they saw me ogling online and had it sent to my house through Amazon. It's pretty awesome. I brought it up here for show and tell. It has nothing to do with the message, but I'm proud of it. So my small group has listened to me and showed me love in the ways that are meaningful to me. And as a result, they have spurred me on toward love and good deeds. And so I'm excited to return the favor. I'm excited to listen, to serve, and to pray. I pray that you're excited too. So if this sounds good to you, this is your chance to lock arms with other believers. I often hear from people that say they are longing for community. If that's you and you want to be connected, step in and encourage the body. Listen, serve, pray. Invest in others and be prepared for them to invest in you. And as I close, rather than using the lame conclusion that I wrote, I want to give you guys a chance to act. And I want to give you the chance to listen and pray. And so for the next minute, I want you to think of, of someone, or maybe it's several people, uh, that you can encourage toward love and good deeds. So who in your life needs encouragement? Who in your life are you feeling drawn closer to? And so for one minute, I want you to listen to God, and I want you to pray for that person or those people. And after about a minute, I'll close us in prayer. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for gathering this group of people here today. I pray that you continue to bind us together. I pray that we lean, lean in toward one another, that we stay rooted in the word, that we listen, that we serve, and that we pray, and that we look back, that we look back on and look forward to God's promises. For your beautiful name. Amen.